I'm Tony Epstein, and this is the Magical Mystery Tour. Join us as we dive into the heart of things, exploring new ideas and new ways of seeing and being in this wondrous, crazy world we share together. This is a journey into sound. Brought to you in living color on WGDR. Are you sitting comfortably? Well, put your seatbelts on because you're in for a howling ride. Because I am the narrator. Voice that guides the blind, following up with your ears, but your mind, and allow me to take you back on four feet time to explain the significance of things you may think insignificant now, but won't further down the line. Today on the Magical Mystery Tour, at a time when we're flirting with despair and impending doom, with an election coming up in a few days with far-reaching consequences, a show about possibility and the magical world of quantum physics, with one of the modern geniuses in the field, Nassim Haramein, who has the ability to make this mysterious field understandable and fun. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on this fireside chat. I spent an hour with Nassim this morning, and uh, this man blew my mind. The conversation went in every direction from human consciousness to time travel to basically can we travel at the speed of light to wormholes to Nikola Tesla. And it's going to be a very interesting conversation, Nassim, because you're brilliant. Oh, thank you. I thank the same of you. I so, think the same of everybody, actually. I think it's an amazing thing to be alive and, you know, the miracle that happens in a person every second of the day is just brilliant. So the first question I'd like to open with, Nassim, and I guess it's, it, it's more really of a subject matter I'd like you to talk about. You focus a lot on connection, on how when you study the universe, you find that everyone, every atom, every soul, every human being, every plant, we're all connected. Let's start by talking about connection. Right. Well, you know, it came from a more philosophical and intuitive sense when I was young that the space between things may not be empty. 
you know, we only experience a very small part of what's going on in the space. There's all kinds of electromagnetic fields, there's all kinds of stuff that's happening in the space that we don't experience directly. And I started to think maybe the space between things is not empty, but it's full and it connects all things. But eventually, as I studied physics and I understood some of the basis of quantum field theory, I realized that actually we had found that the space is not empty at all, but full of energy. And eventually I wrote equations, I wrote physics on the space. I, I described the space. And when I wrote these physics, it outputted very fundamental constants in physics, like the mass of particles and their radius and the structure of galaxies and the structure of the universe and all these things. And as I wrote these mathematics, something remarkable happened. Something I instinctively had come up with when I was young, but that just came out in the mathematics just beautifully. And that is that all the information of every other particles in the universe, every atom in the universe, seems to be present holographically in each atom, which connects them all through this wormhole network in the structure of space, like an information highway that is transferring information at very high bug rate and that permits systems to self-organize. So it's really at the deep level that I see the connection between all things, not in only a philosophical way, but actually writing physics on it actually works. And this, and this connection is the basis for a lot of your research. And the research you're doing right now is astonishing. Because if Nassim's research is able to prove some of the things he's talking about, it has huge implications for humanity. For example, warp drives. For example, the ability to control gravity. To, within the next 75 years, be able to go on a family vacation to Jupiter and back in record time by leveraging the control of gravity and wormholes. So let's talk about that. What are you researching right now? Well, actually, to go to Jupiter, you won't need a wormhole with a gravitational drive. But if you want to go to Alpha Centauri, you'll need one. <laughs> but yes, I, I'm working on these things because not only, you know, when you calculate the amount of energy, obviously, if everything is connected through this wormhole structure, the micro wormhole at the quantum level, the energy level in a centimeter cube of space is enormous. And if we extracted just a billionth of a billionth of a percent of the energy that's in a centimeter cube of space in the structure of space-time, we could run the world for millions of years. So you're saying that in the centimeter cube of space, right, mm -hmm. there's an energy, and I believe um, you, you, you refer to it, or people commonly call it zero-point energy. Yes, and that if we was can learn, Einstein. If yeah. we can learn to extract that, Right. We can run humanity for millions of years. That's unlimited energy. Exactly. And it's actually, according to what I found, it's actually the energy that runs reality, that runs the world. And eventually I wrote papers that advance these mathematics into actually that's the energy that makes you a conscious human being. It actually organizes system to eventually arrive to a system that's complex enough to become self-aware. So that's interesting. So are you saying that zero-point energy has a tangible relationship to consciousness? Yes, absolutely. According to what I found, and, and I want to precisely mean 
what I found. What I mean by what I found is that when I wrote these mathematics and I extracted these masses and these radiuses, I was able to make a prediction, a very important prediction about the nuclear of atom that was confirmed in accelerators in Switzerland. And my solution is the most precise solution on Earth today. The standard model is off by 4%, which is like, you know, a universe away in quantum theory. So what I'm saying to you today is not just based on nice mathematics that may be too complex for you to understand or philosophy. It's actually now confirmed in experimental studies. That's incredible. Now, some scientists have said you deserve a Nobel Prize. Some scientists have said this is hogwash. Yes. How do you deal with that sort of <laughs> that huge polarization? Yes. In, in... Well, you know, I cry and I laugh. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's always difficult to make a change. You know, we can see that. I don't know about you, but in my life, you know, every large changes are difficult. But what I appreciate about you is that every great innovator was called a quack at some point, including Tesla, it, right? Uh, yes. But what I appreciate about and you I is think... that... Yes, and Einstein. Yeah. What I appreciate about you is that you're not just looking at matter and energy, but you're looking at matter, energy, and consciousness and how they all interrelate. Right. And as you find these pieces, as you find these little morsels of the information across the physics, you end up with stuff in chemistry and you end up with stuff with biology and you end up with, you know, and it, it just built because if you have the correct foundation, you see, we make, humans, we make these divisions in science. You know, we call this chemistry and we call this physics and we call this biology and all of this. But the universe doesn't do that. You know, just like the universe doesn't make lines on the planet and say, this is this country and this is this country, right? And so basically, the universe must be unified since it produces all this amazing biostructure that we call our reality from the physics all the way to consciousness. And so when you start to find something, and that's my belief, when you start to find something that's very deep, fundamental at the truth of reality, then all this starts to unravel and that's what I think is happening now. So. The question is, what then is consciousness? We're using that word a lot. Yes. And you said that consciousness is all around us. It is related to the zero-point field. Correct. What is consciousness to you? Right. It's an, it's an important question because it's becoming more and more... You know that when I started to give talks in physics conferences in the 90s, in the early 90s, if you said the C word, it was like automatic dismissal you were asked right. to leave right you could say the f word but you could not say the c word and so it was very difficult at the time you can imagine but now it's it's completely flipped around like the cool thing for physicists especially after they retired is to work on right. what is the source of consciousness and how did consciousness occur and often people talk about you know, this new idea that consciousness may be at the base of reality. And it's, in many cases, not very helpful because the word consciousness is used as if you said God is the base of reality. You still haven't told me anything about what that is, right? If you say consciousness, okay, what do you mean by that? 
Well, if you look at definitions of consciousness, it's not very useful neither. It says it's something that has to do with self-awareness, right? Becoming self-aware. What's important in that self-awareness understanding is that there's something that resembles a feedback, right? You knowing you are you. And as I wrote the physics that described these fundamental laws, uh, these fundamental principles of physics, I realized that the information, and, and it was already in the philosophy that I, was, that I had developed, but it, it showed up in the equation, that the information is, is circulating uh, in feed-forward feedback structures. And so, so that you can think of this Planck field, which is an electromagnetic field, uh -huh. this, this zero-point energy field, um, as bits of information. And this is exactly how I wrote the equation. That's why it's a holographic equation. And, and you can think of the bits being exchanged between the field and the surface and the interior of particles. And as you write the equations for this, it starts to look a lot like a feedback structure of information through the universal network. So in other words, the universe is feeding information to itself. Exactly, and that's how it grows. And that's how it becomes more and more complex and highly organized. So the universe is becoming more conscious as time goes on. Exactly, it's getting wiser. The universe and is getting wiser and wiser. Yes. Right? But the other Hopefully. Thing, but the other thing is, <laughs> you've, uh, you, you've also said that time doesn't exist. In the realm of consciousness, time is an illusion. Yes. Um, and you've suggested that consciousness is going back and rewriting itself. That's right. So it, basically, the information, what we call time, is a linear set of information along a specific vector of space. So let me say this in a more simple way. No memory, no time. If you can't remember what happened just before, you don't know that there's a linear function of time. You don't have evolution. So I changed, I, I modified Einstein, and I'm sure he's okay with it, but I... I changed the, the, the wordy coin, space-time, to space-memory um, because it's more fundamental. Uh, memory is required for time to exist, for evolutionary systems to exist. So I, I start to realize that maybe in this plant field of information, we're leaving information as we're moving through space. And we're basically like like we put information on a hard drive in the magnetic field medium of a hard drive we're leaving information on the Planck oscillating field of space-time on the electromagnetic field of space-time and that's what we call our memory that memory is not in the brain I actually wrote a paper on this it was my first paper in biophysics a few years ago and it, it just got cited by a really good team of biophysicists in the Netherlands and, the, and it got a lot of press but Basically, it's saying that consciousness is not in your brain, but your brain and your whole body is like a bio-oscillator antenna tapped into that field of information. So, so basically, information is on the structure of space, and in each coordinate, think of each coordinate as one Planck second, which is really, 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 really short, right? It's like... 
10 to the minus right. 44 seconds. And just, and can you give us perspective of what that looks like? In our prior conversation, you spoke about how the Earth is going around the sun, right. but the universe is expanding, so the sun is moving. So yes. technically, we are moving through space like this. In Making a spiral. a spiral. Right. Yeah, and like after a year, we're like billions of kilometers away from where we were a year prior. And we've left information on the structure of space, each one of us along that path and that's what we call our past that is our memory imprint on the structure of space which we're entangled with because everything is connected and all the protons in your body are connected to that information now, now, now here's another question where does my consciousness end and your consciousness begin oh that's a good question <laughs> if consciousness is also between us right isn't it all connected in some way? It is, but each coordinates in space-time is observing the universe from a different perspective. If I put an object between you and me right now, you, or, and, and I don't know, we have like what, like 400 people in the room? If not one of us is seeing this object from the same perspective, every one of us, because we are in different coordinates in space-time, are seeing a different part of this right. object we're all gathering different set of information so although we're all part of the same consciousness flow of information we are all in our feedback structure feeding a different set of information that and all the combined sets of all the coordinates in space-time produce the reality we see do you guys follow this it's a little bit of a feedback thing how many of you here are wishing you paid more attention in science class? <laughs> you wouldn't have got that at school. But, but, <laughs> but if the universe... So if the universe is self-aware, is conscious, yeah. and we are some of the most sophisticated creations in the universe... And we, and we all are individualization, right? Because we're all gathering different sets. Right. So we all look a little different because the universe is organizing in the feedback, is organizing your body a little different than me because you're feeding the universe a little different set of information than I am. So we are just a highly organized, a highly organized bit of the universe That's where right. universal consciousness is expressing itself. That's right. You're like a... You like the structure of space-time extending itself and feeding information back to the whole. Wow. Yeah. That, that's a very interesting way of, of looking at it. Yes. Now, Einstein, Einstein mentioned it. I mean, he approached it in some of his statements. What, what specifically did he say? He, I'm going to paraphrase the statement. I, I think I have it in my presentation tomorrow, but something along the lines that... Um, Objects are not in space, but they're an extension of space itself. Wow. Okay, so we got a couple of questions, and um, I wanted to pick some questions. Um, this particular question is from a 14-year-old girl who's in the room, Tamara. Tamara, you want to stand and just wave to the audience? Hi. Thanks so, for being here. So Tamara's question. Tamara, did you pay attention to science in school? Okay, so Tamara's from Belarus. Good girl. And her question is this. <laughs> If there's consciousness all around us... Don't believe everything they tell you, though. <laughs> is there a way we can tap into this consciousness? And is that what intuition is? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, well, you're... 
So that's what I was saying earlier is like, you're making a distinction between you and consciousness and there's none. You, you are tapping your consciousness, what you call your self-awareness, your consciousness is the tap, you're tapped already. But you can increase the amount of information flow. You can increase your influence on the structure of space. I, I call it, you know, vacuum engineering. You can, you can create a larger tap to have a larger influence on the structure of space if you become aware that you have that ability, that you can connect with the space. So, so, so how would you do that? Well. The equation says that every proton in the nuclei of every one of your atoms, and you're made out of 100 trillion cells, each cell is made out of 100 trillion atoms. So there's a lot of those little guys, okay? It's very advanced, it's very complex, it's remarkable. It's remarkable, like there's a miracle happening every billionth of a second in your body. There's a billion, billion, chemical change occurring every second, I mean, a million cell division every second, it's remarkable. So all this is happening, right? And the equation says that each proton is connected to all other protons in the universe, that all the information in the universe is present in each one of them. So if you actually want to know about the universe, where do you go? inside yourself, right? So we are constantly putting our attention outside ourselves because that's what we learn to do. But there's other techniques to help you bring your consciousness inside yourself, right? And if you do that, you can get more and more conscious of the deeper layers of your existence because you think of yourself as one thing, but you're made of all these billion trillions of things and you become aware of them, you go deeper and deeper in them, eventually you can get deeper level of information about the rest of the universe, about your consciousness, about how you are, like the root of you, right? Which is much deeper than the personality and everything else maybe that you've developed throughout the years. Does that answer your question? <laughs> Good. Now you can go back to school and outsmart your teacher. I'd like to see that conversation. <laughs> now, this question comes from someone who is I, watching us I, on Facebook I, Live. I do get hate mail from some of the teachers yeah. out there, yes. Oh, man. <laughs> You've ruined my students. <laughs>
it depends what you mean by God. You know, that's the thing. The precision of language is so difficult. Um, if you mean by God, it's something that's omnipresent, omniscient, that's everywhere, that knows everything, that organizes everything, then you can associate that directly with the quantum vacuum oscillations. Right. And, and if that's true, then, and, and that's consciousness, then there, absolutely, you can, you can make that analogy. But if you make the analogy without the mechanics, without saying either what God is or consciousness is, then you're not much more advanced. So I take it you don't buy the standard model of physics and you don't buy the standard model of God. No, yes, I, I don't. Uh, and, 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 and the standard model of physics, I wouldn't say I don't buy it. I, I just, I modified it because it had big holes. At the foundation of physics, there was, there was big holes in the understanding of physics. Like, if you asked, what is mass? What is electromagnetic fields? What is charge? What is gravity? All this was really like unknown, like the source of it, you know? Uh, we wrote physics equation, like one of the most commonly used physics equation, the most known, equals mc squared. It's a beautiful equation, except that it doesn't tell you anything about anything. If you ask, what is m in the equation? Mass. Mm -hmm. We say, we don't know what mass is. And then you ask, well, what is C? Well, we don't know why C is C. We don't know why the speed of light is the speed of light. So that means you have two unknowns on one side, the equal sign. That means you don't know what E is, right? Because it's equal to unknown. So, so now you have an equation. It's beautiful. There's an equivalence between three unknowns. So you know nothing about nothing. So... <laughs> so so I, I wanted to know. So this is a question from Clement Strzok. Once artificial intelligence becomes self-aware of its own existence and consciousness, how will this impact human consciousness? Well, I guess there's a category to that question, right? Firstly, do you agree that AI can attain consciousness as you define it? Right. Um, th this is really important because it's becoming so popular right now and I'm asked this question often and I had to meditate on it and it was a short meditation <laughs> uh, because it occurred very quickly to me that there's nothing artificial about consciousness. And so the concept of artificial consciousness or artificial intelligence didn't you know, it doesn't compute. There's already a computational issue. Um, and so there's nothing artificial about intelligence. And what I mean by that is intelligence has nothing to do with crunching data. It has nothing to do with... Intelligence is a beautiful emergent field of information that includes emotions and all kinds of things that has nothing to do with crunching ones and zeros. Crunching ones and zeros will never get us to an intelligent, you know, being. Right. Um, um, so, so, do I believe that artificial intelligence will occur, meaning that we can place consciousness in an external device? Uh, yes, I believe we will get there. Uh, how we will get there? We will get there when we try, when we stop trying to do it by crunching ones and zeros 
and we learn how to tap into this fundamental field of information of consciousness and loop it back on itself on an external device and then it will be self um, self aware and when it becomes self aware it will have emotions it will have empathy it will have every characteristic that a human being has now, now what would that look like would that be would, would that be using biological means combined with with electronic means um, I, I what, think, what do you mean by I, I think, tapping into consciousness um, I think it will be using plasma um, high energy plasma structures in a very confined region of space that creates singularity that creates a tap into the field um, and then uh, the system will become self-loop and become self-aware wow. okay so now that we've started talking about plasma, plasma is one of the states of matter. Um, scientists are always discovering new states of matter. Right now they are around seven. And plasma is the most dominant state of matter in the universe. Correct. Now, it's mostly of what we see in the universe. And what we call not plasma is really plasma that's cooled off. I see. Now, right. this is a question from Hayden, who's 10 years old. And he, Hayden's my son. He's a big science geek. Right, Hayden? You want to just wave to the crowd? So, Hayden's curious to understand, how are you using plasma to control gravity? He looks like you. <laughs> um, I've got two boys. How old are you? Ten. I have an eight-year-old and a twelve-year-old. Um, what was the question? I bet that. <laughs> I was just going to say, you have an 8-year-old and a 10-year-old. I bet their teachers get so annoyed at that. <laughs> yes. So, oh my so God. Hayden was wondering, in your work, you're using plasma yes. to control gravity. And, and what you've said is, look, Elon Musk wants to get us to Mars using um, rocketry. Using rocketry. Yeah. And you said that that's a highly inefficient process. Within 10 years, we'll be able to use plasma in a specific way to control gravity. Correct. Yes. I... I that was your son's question? Well, no. <laughs> how, how are you doing it? Um, well, you know, they, okay, so, so first of all, it's not really feasible to colonize Mars or any other planet or even the moon using rocketry. You know, it makes absolutely no sense. It would be extremely difficult to supply, you know, the supply chain would be very, uh, very expensive. Uh, it would produce massive uh, ecological disaster. Uh, we would need hundreds of rockets going up every, every week, every month, and it would make holes in the ionosphere. Anyway, it's just, it's not feasible. Um, control of gravity is the way we will go to space if we reach that and and we will uh, I'm confident we will and we will and you can tell the future because of technology because all you gotta do is look at science fiction everything right. that we have today was in science fiction prior to us having it because science fiction is the imagination of consciousness creating its future um, and just, so, just to give an example of that if you look if you were watching Star Trek The Next Generation in the 1990s and you notice that people in Star Trek using a um, tricorder right. we now have a tricorder in fact this is more advanced than the tricorders in Star Trek right. 
and it's called a smartphone, <laughs> yes. right? And so, and, and who would have thought that it would emerge in 18 years from 1990? Exactly, um, and, and things are accelerating. And uh, what I'm talking about, gravity control, is not in five generations from now, like it's not in 10 generations from now, it's at our doorstep. You know, there's laboratories all around the world, including mine, working on it. And NASA. Uh, and NASA. And you yeah. say this is going to come to the world within 10 years. Oh, yes. Uh, we already have good results in some of the laboratories with some of the device and creating um, gravitational anomaly and so on. And so we're on our way. And, it, it, you know, all of our current technology today came from us learning to control magnetic fields and electromagnetic fields from Maxwell's equation and Faraday and we've produced this amazing civilization, technological civilization. The next step um, is to learn to control gravity and birth our civilization into a space colony. And, and you're doing this with plasma. Can you give a quick layman's idea of how you're doing this? Right, so uh, not all laboratories have taken that approach. Um, I um, I've taken it because early on in the physics I wrote, I realized that we needed to spin highly dense magnetic field at, uh, at, at high velocity. And, we, and, and some of the experiments in microgravity alterations uh, came from spinning a superconductive uh, magnetic disk uh, at 5,000 RPM, but 5,000 RPM is very slow. Um, you can turn plasma right up to the speed, close to the speed of light. Uh, so you can imagine if you reproduce the same experiments but at a much higher velocity, you can get much larger effects. So, so it, it was clear to me that rotating a physical object was, was too slow. So I, and I, I realized, oh, why don't we just biomimic what the universe is doing, right? Because it's spinning plasma out there and it's producing gravitational field. Uh, let's make a little star in a jar, you know? So I, um, I eventually manufactured and, and patented a, a device that, um, that basically confines plasma inside a crystal ball. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I get in trouble and it's all spinning the way. and it's spinning this plasma and, yeah, creating a gravity spin, field exactly to produce gravitational alteration so yeah. so you believe that within 10 years we might be able to control gravity to some degree absolutely yeah what will I, this look like in terms of what we as humanity would then be capable of um, well it looks like um, being able to come off the surface literally um, uh, controlling gravity will allow us to put all of our vehicles in the air. So flying cars, flying cars yeah, becomes a reality. Exactly, the, the Jetsons, <laughs> you know, right. um, that um, will occur um, and uh, that will allow us to remove most of, the, most of the pavement and roads and all this off the surface, give the earth back to the earth. Um, obviously that leads to, I mean, Initially, it will probably just start with common uh, vehicles like planes no longer using 
carburation but using gravitational drive and so on but eventually individuals will have the same capability and it will allow you to you know fly outside the atmosphere into space uh, go to the moon for the weekend come back for you know lunch with a friend and go back for supper um, you know it will allow us to move around about the solar system at a much faster rate and every, if you look at the evolution of consciousness on our planet, it's directly linked to our capacity to move about. Uh, more, you know, from the cavemen that couldn't go very far, uh, to eventually us that are able to get on this metal object, which is completely crazy. For, even 100 years ago, 150 years right. ago, if you said to someone, I'm going to get on this metal object and I'm going to go across the world to Australia, they would say so you're completely, you got burnt at the stake for saying something like that. <laughs> right. But uh, now we do it daily and we don't think twice about it. It's just, it's going to be the same. It's just the mode, the technology behind it is going to be completely and, and, different. And that's very interesting to think about. If you go back 100 years to the 1920s, uh, it would seem unconceivable. That was before Lindbergh flew across the Atlantic. It will seem right. inconceivable that today, like air travel is so commonplace. And, and one of the things data points that really struck me was Peter Diamandis saying that between 1900 and 2000 there was a massive outburst in human innovation but there was an equal amount of innovation between 2000 and 2016 in 16 years and there's going to be an equal amount of innovation between 2016 and 2022 and what this means is that we're going through an exponential curve of innovation That's right. between 2016 and 2022 we will see as much innovation in the world as between 1900 and 2000 the invention of the airplane the transistor and so on and it's it's astonishing when you think about this so when Nassim says that this is coming in 10 years it quite is it's quite possible that this may be so exactly and and, uh, and there's a lot of people working on it and they're very smart people um, and but importantly is that the 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 physics understanding and the theory behind it is, is, is now present, meaning we're starting to realize, oh my God, particles are not just in some, you know, vacuum space, but they're actually in, in a field interacting with this field. And, and this is the fundamental discovery that's going to make all this possible. And so... And since that is present now and it's becoming more and more accepted by the standard community of physics and there's an awful lot of smart people out there, uh, it's on its way. It's definitely on its way. Extraction of energy from the structure of space, is, that, is, that has been done and it's, it's, it's on its way to the public. And gravitational control. Now, how soon before you think humanity can colonize a distant star because traveling to the moon just, is one thing just to address one thing about the naysayers out there the the physicists that throws tomatoes at me um, you know even when um, but I don't mind because I'm Italian so I can make good sauce with tomatoes <laughs> but uh, the uh, you know even when the Wright brothers flew the plane and I'm not gonna say the first plane because there was other people in Europe that were doing similar things. Um, the, um, for almost up to 10 years, there was papers in physics that were being published proving without the shadow of the doubt that that could not be done and that it was a, whole, it was a hoax. So, you know, it takes a little bit of time for people to catch up to.
where right. things are. Yeah. So, so how long? How long? How long before we can start sending human beings to Alpha Centauri? To Alpha Centauri? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's gonna be a little longer <laughs> because we have to open wormholes and and. Right, so, so wormholes, that's a whole other can of worms. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Definitely and a whole other kind of worms. And it, um, but, the, but, the, but the physics are there. I just want to make clear that when I'm talking about wormholes, um, you know, the, this is predicted by Einstein field equation. It's well supported by observation, meaning that like Einstein field equation in, in the form, in their classical form, are very well supported. But um, but it was until recently taught that it's not possible to open any of those wormholes and travel through them because the energy requirement to do so were just over the top. Now that we have discovered that there's this field of information, this field of energy, zero point energy, energy present, and that the density of that field is so high. Um, now it's now the physics works out that absolutely you can open wormholes you, if you can tap into that field of energy, and that's why people like Sunny White at NASA and others are are literally working on warp drives as we speak today. Right, right. That, that's astonishing. They to can think. see they can see in the physics and in the math that there's a path to getting there. So NASA is working on warp drives. Absolutely. And a warp drive would simply be the ability to open a wormhole, to jump across space without being limited by the speed of light Correct. and using anti gravity. Yeah, using gravity control. And and that, you know, will take probably uh, you know a while before we have the expertise to be able to safely reconstruct you on the other side of that wormhole you know so that all your molecules end up at the right place at the right moment so it's like teleportation you yes. so you mean when you go into a wormhole you're disappearing is that what's going on well you can think of it and this is where standard theory doesn't quite cut it to describe what's happening and this is the new theory that is emerging is basically all the particles in the universe are entangled and, and that's emerging there's a there's a theory by one of the greatest theorists on the planet that's called ER equals EPR and this is from Sutskin and others Montesino and others that show that you can write physics in such a way that entangled particles, which we measure in laboratory, does everybody know what entanglement is? Right? So it, you can get two particles to be entangled in such a way that when you tickle this one, the other one laughs. And it doesn't matter how far the other one is, it gets the joke. Like you tell it to this one, and the other one's laughing. And, and it's like. And, and so, and, and it means if you change the spin of a proton over here, the spin of the proton will align itself. That's right. No matter how far. No matter how far they are. And they are starting to be able to do it with macro objects like diamonds. Right. So that you hit this diamond with a laser and the other one is wiggling like you're hitting it with the laser. And so basically, and there's no delay. That is, it doesn't matter how far the particles are when you it's instantaneous when you modify this one the other one is modified now 
if that's instantaneous, then information there is traveling faster than the speed of light. Well, this is why quantum theory and relativity don't agree so well. Um, but that's the beauty of this view that's emerging. I came to the same conclusion from a different angle. ER equals EPR. ER is for Rosen bridges, Einstein Rosen, right? ER, which is the wormhole. E equals EPR, which is Einstein Podolsky Rosen, which is entanglement at the quantum level. So it's saying that the reason particles become entangled is because wormholes form between wow. them, which is basically relativity applied at the quantum level. You see? So that's where unification of physics... So entanglement, particle entanglement, is yes. an evidence for micro-wormholes. Micro-wormholes, connecting things. And so basically what we're going to do when we're traveling through wormholes is basically, since everything is entangled, and that is coming out in these equations as well, that we're going to make the information of you and the ship and everything in the ship, the whole universe, we're going to throw it into the wormhole, black hole structure network of the universe and reconstruct it on the other side. You know, it might be a galaxy thousands and thousands of billions of light years away from here. So, so then, is that traveling through a wormhole or is that teleportation? What is the difference? Well, you can think of it as teleportation, but in reality, I mean, it depends how you think of teleportation. And the reason I'm hesitating is because there's very specific, precise language in physics that describe teleportation, and I'm trying to like, say it in a more layman way. But let's just say that basically I'm deconstructing all the information that you are and reconstructing it on the other side after it has gone through the network of the universe, right? But if, but if that's true, then you're deconstructing someone and bringing them back. Can you deconstruct someone, back them up, so when they die, you can recreate them? Can we, bring <laughs> people, can we then bring people back from the dead? Like, could I have backup copies of my favorite dog? Uh, you, yeah. <laughs> you already uh, do, but um, because the information is in the structure of yeah, space. Yeah, and, and if Hayden disappoints me as an adult, could I just, you know, <laughs> like, recreate, recreate a 10-year-old? Oh, that's and, a whole other story. Yeah. <laughs> because you might be not so agreeable to Hayden, that idea. I'm just kidding. Uh, yes, but um, my 12-year-old is already not so agreeable with some of my ideas. But um, you can imagine that, yes, I mean, what I'm saying is that what you are is information in the structure of space, and you're constantly updating the universe every plonk second. You're actually updating the universe about your experience. And, and so you can think of yourself as actually like, being here and not being here, being here and not being here. So let, let me put it in more simple terms. I'm going to give you an example. I hope it won't take too long. I'm going to try to make sure. it short. You're trying to do a simple physics calculation. You can do in high school. Right. You want to know how fast your hand is going from A to B. Simple, clear. You start at A, it goes to B. You figure out how long it took to get there and you can output the velocity at which it had to travel to go from A to B. 
Is that true? No. If you're trying to do real physics, if you're trying to actually be completely honest about what you're trying to measure, you have a huge problem. Because as your hand went from A to B, the earth was spinning. And so you have to add that velocity to your hand moving and it's spinning pretty fast. And then that's going around the sun, right? The earth is going around. So now you have to add that velocity because while your hand was moving, it did move in that direction with the earth and around the sun, right? So you have to add that. And then the sun's going at 300 kilometers per second in the galaxy. So now you have to add that. And then the galaxy is orbiting around the, the cluster, the super, and you're like, whoa, your hand is going millions of miles per second now, <laughs> right? And so, and eventually, if you keep adding that, eventually you get to the speed of light. So like, what is going on? What is your hand doing? Well, it's only moving at that velocity you calculated in high school relative to you. But relative to the universe, what is the universe doing when it's moving then? What is movement? What is that, right? Well, the only conclusion you can come to is that your hand is undoing itself, redoing itself, undoing itself, redoing itself. So it's your hand is your hand, and then it's the hole, and then it's your hand, and then it's a hole, and then it's your hand, then it's the hole. And it's happening at frames of Planck time, so it's happening really, really fast. Just like a movie is frames that appears to produce linear motion, but is actually frames, you know, that are being passed by a light at speed high enough that you don't see the discontinuity. So, from that point of view, our bodies are deconstructing and reconstructing itself at Planck second intervals across millions of miles. Yeah, imagine, imagine that concept. Like, imagine that that's occurring at the Planck scale, right? Very, very, very fast. And then imagine the undoing and redoing itself happening at a much larger scale like biology. You're doing that right now. You know, fission like a month ago is not the same guy. Like you've redone your liver, you've redone your, your blood a whole bunch of times. You've redone your skin. You, and within three years, you've pretty well redone the whole thing. Mm. Right? So you're actually redoing and undoing and redoing yourself like every second as well. Which, which opens up this question. And this is the final question. This is from one of our viewers oh, on I Facebook. just want to finish the analogy. So now you can imagine if I get this undoing, redoing thing, first of all, I can redo myself a little different if I want to be different. But I can undo my hand there and redo it there without doing all the points in between. Mm -hmm. See? Space travel across <sighs> the universe. Mind blown. <laughs> So, so you just said something. But if you do that, bring your body with it. Because you just <laughs> not so good. You just you just touched on something, right. which is so mind-bending. We don't we not we can't go really deep into it. But you said you can redo yourself somewhat different. You can change your physical appearance. You can change your biology. Now this comes to a question from KT, who's watching online, and she says, "Can we train our programs?" or bodies to heal itself from any disease and stop aging, sort of like Wolverine from X-Men. <laughs> that image never occurred to me, but I can see how that... Yes, I, I, uh, I, I, I totally believe so. I, uh, so why is your body keep redoing itself the same way? 
because it has memory in the structure of space, right? So now if your consciousness is the interaction of that memory in space, then you should ultimately have the control on what is being remembered, right? right? So if you change what's being remembered, then you should get a direct correlation to what's happening when your body is redoing itself. It might redo. So if it keeps redoing itself with a tumor on the liver, why can't you change it to redoing itself without the tumor on the liver? Well, people do all the time. Actually, 30% of the people do. They, they call that the placebo effect, right? Or spontaneous remission, right. right? So there's a very high level of studies that are occurring right now to see the impact, people call it like the impact of consciousness on reality and on our body. And we see clearly in these studies that we have the capacity to change the material world, even to influence computers, random generators. You sit the person in front of a random generator and you ask them to influence it. And, and, and I'm not talking some like guru from India or right. some you Ordinary know, psychic people. or right. just like you pluck somebody off the street, you put them in front of a computer and you ask them to influence yeah, it. Yeah, Princeton, Princeton University studied that. Yeah. Right? So we are out of time. So thank you guys. Thank you, Nassim. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. theoretical physicist Nassim Haramein.
This is Rumble Strip. I've been working a couple freelance jobs for extra money. Um, this week, the big annual audio festival started up. It's called Third Coast. It's all online this year. And they asked me to do something for it, but I've been so busy with this freelance job that I haven't been able to do anything. And like everybody's job these days, the job I'm doing requires a lot of video conference calling, and it turns out that I'm not very good at this. And last week, at a particularly low moment, I picked up my recorder and I I shared some thoughts about video conferencing, and I sent it off to the Third Coast Festival, and they posted it, and then this producer in London, Arlie Adlington, picked it up and made a remix of it. So here is a short dip into my state of mind during this election season and this world burning and this age of video conferencing. There is some, what I believe is justifiably strong language. Welcome. I used to work in TV and I remember um, this, I remember this woman this producer I worked with who was, I was an associate producer and she was a, I think she was also an associate producer, but she was a lot older than me. And I remember, um, noticing that she struggled with, um, the copy machine, (laughs) not, you know, not profoundly so, but a little bit. And I remember thinking, Oh, I wonder if that's inevitable. That slide into that slide into that slide into technological difficulty. So I think you said you wanted a um, middle of the night commentary from a um, freelance podcast producer. I think I'm having a nervous breakdown. I just spent the better part of an hour trying to um, share a edit session with somebody through one of these conference call programs um, where you have to look at each other on the computer. You have to look at each other on the computer. You have to look at each other. Look at each other. Look at each other on the computer. And um, so for the better part of this hour, um, I couldn't hear him and he couldn't hear me. So we were just kind of looking at each other and he was kind of shaking his head in dismay at how it was that I could not figure this out. You know, I think he I think it was almost awesome for him. The 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 level of my ignorance. I couldn't find the motherfucking little chat box thing half the time. And he kept typing, you know, share your screen. (laughs) I would try, but I would share the wrong screen and then I lose the chat box. And then suddenly, you know, we would just be kind of looking at each other. I've always been, you know, pretty good with computers or, you know, um, passably good. But since the pandemic, man, I don't want to look at people in the computer and talk to them. And I certainly don't want some guy in New York watching me edit through a computer. Some guy in New York, some 
guy in New York, some guy in New York, 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 guy in New York. I'm Ira Glass. I'm Alex Bloomberg. I'm Michael Babar. I was working on this, you know, for, I don't know, two and a half hours last night trying to figure this out. Um, try, you know, what, doing what I thought were making sort of intelligent preferences decisions about inputs and outputs. And, you know, it's because, so, you know, you got your system preferences, you got your, you know, your conference software setups, you got your edit program settings. And so I'm thinking, well, you know, trying to make sense of all this software setups. And it's like 11 o'clock and my son, my 17 year old son walks by and is like, mom, you need some help with technology. I was like, no, I don't need help with technology. No! Anyway, I'm losing it. So I figured, you know, maybe some of you out there are also old and feeling um, uh, struggling with uh, online conference programs. Or maybe you have some advice about, you know, Zoom settings that you could uh, pass on. Uh, You could pass on to me. Anyway, I guess I got to go back to it. I'm going to go back. Anybody out there on Google Meetup, send me an invite. Okay. That was the I Hate Google Meetup remix by Arlie Adlington. You can find his work at arlie.me. That's A-R-L-I-E dot me. Thanks also to Maya Goldberg-Safer, who is the spirit of the Third Coast Festival. This is Erica. Thank you for listening, and thank you very much for your patience. Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States. Fellow Americans. God bless America. Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States. Whose ignorance is surpassed only by those who voted for him. <laughs> Hello, Americans. God bless America. Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States. Hello, Americans. God bless America. And God bless each and every one of you.
Scotty. Ahead. Warp factor one. Nothing wrong with your television set. Do not attempt to adjust the picture. We are controlling transmission. For the next hour, sit quietly and we will control all that you see and hear. You are about to participate in a great adventure. You are about to experience the awe and mystery which reaches from the inner mind in living color. Wow. Some of the scenes you will witness may appear to border on fantasy. You will listen and obey. You will remember nothing you have seen or heard here. I must be insane. Oh, if only something somewhere made sense somehow. Look, yes, Everybody quiet. <laughs> All right. Just listen. And you know what that means. It's happening. I can feel it. How would you explain it? Beautiful. God, it's God. I see God. It's all remote control. Each one of those images was electronically based. Same boat on my track. This could really catch on. Let's play a game. Let's play a game. Let's play a game. Let's play a game. Okay, 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 We're taking our microphone to different locations, to different places. Your job is to close your eyes, listen very carefully, and decide where we are and what is happening. Okay? Okay? This time, I'm going to ask you to do something besides just listening. I would like for you and your friends to pretend you're actually in the places you hear. Too much data. 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 That's one of my big problems today. That's one of my big problems today. Books, files, photographs. Books, files, photographs. Books, files, photographs. News reels by the million miles. But I should think you'd be so glad to have all this material. But how to use it, dearly? But how to use it? But how to use it? How to use it? And yet it goes on and on and on. Now I know too much and find it hard to make out any patterns. <laughs> Just clatter and babble and get the feel and move on before I get buried in videotape. <laughs> and if you think going one-on-one -on -one with the Prince of Darkness is sticky, ooh, wait until you see the rest of the characters. How do you go about getting an exorcism? The fault, dear Brutus, is not in our stars, but in ourselves. Good night and good luck. I was awake.
Dreaming of new dystopias to run to and hide within, and new faces to wear, and new bodies to inhabit, and new lies to guzzle. And how I love the moon, and its sheets of seeds, the moon tiding in your body, the smell of your blood breathing, and its taste in the sea in the south shining my feet, till it seemed as if they were made of dew, with pearls of huge beauty. Whilst your mouse-like breath was the hand upon my clock, and one each breath I came nearer to my silly and shining end. From the way we live in our consciousness, can you distinguish a conscious manifestation? versus a real manifestation. Did I just create something in my head or was that actually real, what I just saw? Biologically, you'll never know the difference. How do I know it's real? Well, I see it and I feel it and I smell it and I touch it. I go, yeah, go to sleep. And in your dream state, your biology will be activated by your brain. Your sensory nervous system will experience what you've already done before. And to your sleep state, can you tell if it was a real state or a dream state? Not in your sleep. Well, then how do you know if the real state you're in right now is the real state or the dream state? Well, dreams, they feel real while we're in them, right? It's only when we wake up that we realize something was actually strange. Ah, the conundrum of quantum physics. We don't know where we are. Which reality are we in? You say, well, it's the one I'm biologically sensing. Biologically sensing in your dream or biologically sensing in real life? The answer is you can't tell. And that's the most exciting part. Can you tell if it was a real state or a dream state? Not in your sleep. Well then how do you know if the real state you're in right now is the real state or the dream state? We don't know where we are. Which reality are we in? You say, well, it's the one I'm biologically sensing. Biologically sensing in your dream or biologically sensing in real life? You can't tell.
I step it up and move beyond these tall weeds I'm weeded as I speak and the vibe is so deep They told me drive slow so I grind at a creep The motion is forward, I'm alive and I breathe I see and I hear and I fly in my sleep Flight to the sound that we use to count deep There is no insomnia, it climbs right inside of your bed between sheets You blink twice and then you start to doze off Embracing this moment in time, that pillow's so soft Usually a victim of the turn tour Sleep is priceless and his dreams coming at no cost The hours spent before his preparation To focus on the answers you seek through meditation The location, a gift of the ancients Egyptian dream temples to reach your destination Patiently searching for signs as you drift through the unknown corners of the mind You'll find out through practice and discipline This every night routine is more than significant Dreams run in 90 minute intervals With each new layer they become more visual It's like watching a video In first person you become more certain Aware of your surroundings almost picture Perfect, perfect Relax and observe it This heavenly experience is peaked to its furthest Bursting with energy and light The colors get bright You're the king of the night Take flight, flight
flaw and I thought I'd spot some land I yell for Captain E-Rib, I have you understand Who came running to the deck, said boys forget the wheel We're going over yonder, cut the engines, change the sails Haul on the bowline, we sang that melody Like all tough sailors do, when they're far away at sea I think I'll call it America, I said as we hit land I took a deep breath, I fell down, I could not stand Captain Arab, he started writing up some deeds He said let's set up a fort and start buying a place with beads Just then this cop comes down the street crazy as a loon He throws us all in jail for carrying hoppers Ah, me, I busted out, don't even ask me how I went to get some help, I walked by a Guernsey cow Who directed me down to the Bowery slums Where people carried signs around, saying ban the bums I jumped right in the line, saying I hope that I'm not late When I realized I had eaten for five days straight Looking for the cook I told him I was the editor Of a famous etiquette book The waitress, he was handsome He wore a powder blue cape I ordered some Suzette I said, could you please make that crepe Just then the whole kitchen Exploded from boiling fat Food was flying everywhere I left without my hat But I went into a bank To get some bail for a rab And all the boys back in the tank They asked me for some collateral And I pulled down my pants They threw me in the alley When up comes this girl from France Who invited me to her house I went but she had a friend Who knocked me out and robbed my boots And I was on the street again Well, I rapped upon a house with the U.S. flag upon display I said, could you help me out? I got some friends down the way The man says, get out of here, I'll tear you limb from limb I said, you know they refused Jesus too He said, you're not him Get out of here before I break your bones, I ain't your pop I decided to have him arrested and I went looking for a cop Inside a cab, I went out the other door. This Englishman said, Fab, as he saw me leap a hot dog stand in a chariot that stood parked across from a building advertising brotherhood. I ran right through the front door like a hobo sailor does, but it was just a funeral parlor, and a man asked me who I was. I repeated that my friends were all in jail with a sign 
He gave me his card He said call me if they die I shook his hand and said goodbye Ran out to the street When that bowling ball came down the road And knocked me off my feet A payphone was ringing It just about blew my mind When I picked it up and said hello This foot came through the line Well, by this time I was fed up at trying to make a stab At bringing back any help for my friends and Captain Arab I decided to flip a coin like either heads or tails But let me know if I should go back to ship or back to jail So I parked my sailor suit and I got a coin to flip It came up tails around my sails so I made it back to the ship Well, I got back and took the parking ticket off the mast I was ripping empty shreds when this Coast Guard boat went past They asked me my name and I said Captain Kidd They believed me but they wanted to know what exactly that I did I said for the Pope of Eruk I was employed They let me go right away, they were very paranoid Well, the last I heard of Arab, he was stuck on a whale That was married to the deputy sheriff of the jail But the funniest thing was when I was leaving the bay I saw three ships sailing, they were all heading my way I asked the captain what his name was and how come he didn't drive a truck He said his name was Columbus, I just said good luck